Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he knows about the From Cute to Brute deck, but now he wants a From Cute to Scute deck. It's Matt Morgan. So my partner this weekend said she was fed up with my addiction and I need to quit cold turkey. But I don't think she really knows how much I freaking love cold turkey. Put on sandwiches, <laughs> salads, whatever you want. It's so good. I, I love that, Matt, but I just really need to, like, I briefly need to examine the syntax of your sentence because you said my partner this weekend. It makes it sound like every weekend you have a different partner. <laughs> well, depends on her personality for the weekend, but that's not what, what? I wanted to say. No, I was going to say, do you have the partner mechanic, like, on the Magic the Gathering cards so you have two commanders? Is it like, is that what's going on here or is this too nerdy even for you? <laughs> It's too nerdy for even me, so we should just move on. Yeah, I suppose we're going to do that. <laughs> All right. Up next, he liked Double Masters and Commander Masters, so now he wants a Double Commander Masters. It's Dana Roach. Um, a friend of mine just got back from vacation in New York City. Um, he's a math teacher, and he found Times Square to be profoundly disappointing. Not mm. at all what he was hoping for. Okay, first I think of all... I, I should find the root <laughs> of the problem, and it might be able to figure that out. Well, you, I could have gone to England and seen the division bell, but you know, instead he <laughs> decided to oh, stay stateside. And, uh, and, and I'm out of math references at this point. No, no, that is excellent. And like, honestly, independent of the math dad joke, I actually agree. Times Square is deeply underwhelming. <laughs> like, I just went to New York for my 30th birthday, like for the first time. And I was like, oh, that's something cool I'll get to see. It was so dull. So like, independent of the dad joke, like, yeah, I just happen to actually agree you with just, your you friend. You agree in general, sure. Yeah, so, yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I think you might say that New York City did not compound Joey's interest <laughs> uh, about wow. the East Coast. You That's might a counting that. joke. That's a subset of math jokes. You might say that, or we might move on to our actual episode <laughs> topic. So, Matt, how about we get to that? What is it that we are talking about on this week's show? <laughs> so this week, we're going to talk about a bunch of bucket list items, situations, cards, kind of those achievement unlocked type of scenarios that we always kind of hint about. But we figured it's worth finally giving a full show to these types of moments. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Just to chat about some stuff that's really cool in a commander game, stuff that we have accomplished, stuff that we still hope to accomplish one day. This will be a whole lot of fun, but we've got some shoutouts to do before we get to it. I'd first like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for help in editing the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. We also wanted to let you know we'll be at the Magic Summit this year in Salt Lake City, October 26th to 29th. We had an absolute blast last year, and we hope to see you fine folks again this year. Come say hi and get in some games with us at the Magic Summit. And you may see us there in our Coalesce Apparel Magic-themed merch, which you can also get. And no matter what you get from Coalesce, use code EDHREC at checkout for 10% off your order. They have all types of way cool designs from the Omnath Rock and royal shirt to, of course, the EDH Rec collection, which you may see us sporting at the Magic Summit event. Once again, that's Coalesce and code EDHREC for 10% off your order. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast, 
where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to see the episodes a day early, join our Discord community. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast, including the coveted weekly patron shout out, which this week we're going to give to David Needleman. So thank you, David, who is probably my favorite Mega Man villain, Needleman. Uh, that's <laughs> quite a throwback, but also that kind of ages myself. But David, thank you so much for your support and thank you for being such a challenging boss in Mega Man, I want to say three that is so funny i wonder if uh his favorite card is needle drop sort of like a microphone drop only ah is that does anyone know about lorwin limited like do, do people know the card needle drop it's not good so maybe this joke is really bad on my part actually no needle drop is the staple of mono red burn and popper so okay congrats joey Hey, yeah, I definitely play that format. And thank you, David, for reminding us that yeah, one uh, is a thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you. Okay. I think we need to get to our main topic before I completely sidetrack us far, far too much. So yeah, on this show, we are talking about our commander bucket lists, some stuff that we have pulled off and some stuff that we still want to pull off. Dana, I'll pass this first one to you. What's the, the first thing that you'd like to talk about on your commander bucket list? Well, I think we have kind of a broad category here, like, because I, I can see a few of your notes and we can probably lump quite a few of these into one little bucket. Um, and that's some different alt win conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I've never won a game with Approach the Second Son and it's not necessarily on my list of, of ones to try to do. Um, but I have won games with Revel and Riches uh, on more than a few occasions. Um, Simic Ascendancy is one as well, but but the the one that's always eluded me, in part because I think you need to you know build a pretty specific deck around it, and that's Helix Pinnacle. I, I really want to find a deck that works really well with Helix Pinnacle. I, I've I've tried to figure out how to do it, um, and one of these days I will crack that nut. I will find a deck that that is kind of built around using Helix Pinnacle for the win. I, I've been tinkering with it for years and I have not got there yet, but that, that's one of the things I do want to figure out as a deck where like, that's one of the main ways I win. Okay. And I think you guys have a couple of those that kind of feel the same way for you as well. Oh yeah, I, I will never forget the one time that I won off of Mael's Aria, which is, it's a very old card. It's back, I don't think anybody's played it probably since I won with it because it's just kind of how <laughs> old the card is. Wow. Um, but it was reprinted in Double Masters, so there's that. But Mael's Aria, it's Naya color, so it's a, a white, a red, and a green. And it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. If you control a creature with power five or greater, then you gain 10 life. If you control a creature with power 10 or greater, then... You win the game if you control a creature with power 20 or greater. So there's a lot of things going on with this card, a lot of words. But basically, if you have one big beefy creature, you win the game. And I guess leave it to me to be excited about having a big creature lets me win the game without actually having to swing with it. So that's even better because you can't block my Elzaria. (laughs) Yeah, Miles Aria has unblockable the ultimate Matt Morgan move right there. Uh, that that is so excellent. I feel like alternate win condition cards have a, there's there's this double edged swordness to them because some of them are so difficult that it is like it's so hard to actually pull that off that it does keep like you are still chasing that experience for a very long time. But like 
there, there are some that are like, oh, this is a little bit easier to do. Like, Dana, you mentioned Revel and Riches. And that one is one that I've seen a little bit more commonly. Or like Thassa's Oracle. Like, a Thassa's Oracle win is like so classic at this point that it doesn't really feel like an achievement unlocked. And the other problem with some of these alternate win conditions is that once you do them, sometimes you're like, yeah, but I've already won with mechanized production before. So like, maybe I don't need to, I've, you know, oh, this is my Gates deck, but like every game is just chasing the mazes in. So like, am I getting a little tired of this or not? Mm -hmm. um, so there's like that difficulty with those. And yet I'm still just so drawn to a whole lot of these and no one will, will be surprised to find that the one that I'm still chasing, the one that I really want to pull off one of these days is Mortal Kombat. To, to win the game by having this enchantment in play and at the beginning of my upkeep, I have 20 more creature cards in my graveyard. <laughs> uh, it, it has thus far eluded me, but man, one of these days, I'm going to get that. <laughs> the reason it's eluded you is because all of your graveyard decks recur things from the graveyard. I know, right? <laughs> you, you are at least in part responsible for never getting to a point where you can win with Mortal Kombat because you keep bringing stuff back to the to play from the yard. It's it's one of those cards that is perpetually in the maybe board, and I put a list together, and I'm just like, all right, I can't like be too distracted by that, but it is over there. And I'll look at the creature count after this, you know, the deck building process is done, and I look at it, and it's like 22 creatures. Well, okay, no, it's, Mortal Kombat would not be realistic. Uh, and so I've, I've built an entire deck trying to just abuse this one, but even then it's still not working. Um, but yeah, that, a lot of those alternate win condition cards, a lot of them are, are very, very classic and for really good reasons. Well, and I'm honestly kind of surprised, but also not because ever since we got a lot of treasure cards back when like maybe there were five or six cards that made treasure tokens, mechanized production feels very much like a Dana thing to do. But since treasures are a thing, and it's being played in 26,000 decks, which is 26,000 too many in Dana's mind to want to put into a deck. I can see why that one didn't get uh, put into any of your decks, but it does have a lot of things. I'm like, oh, Dana wants to have like a million different copies of it. It would be fantastic for your Itch Tekkit deck where you're making a billion golems. That's the deck where, I have to, where I'm have where i trying to run Mechanized Production for the win. Yes, you're trying, you're trying to talk yourself into it? Yeah. Dana, you're actually playing it, but it's popular. That, what, uh, yeah, I, but I felt like somewhat, making a bunch of golems was, was, was kind of funny. So like that, that, yeah. that felt, I felt okay with that. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there are so many of these. I mean, like I, I think a Liliana's Contract winning by getting four differently named demons those are cool mm -hmm. i think that like any life gain player already knows fell at our sovereign and test of endurance if you win by having a certain amount of life and so some of them are definitely classics but some of them are hard like i i think probably the most quintessential version of a bucket list card is battle of wits which requires you to have 200 or more cards in your deck so it like literally isn't possible in edh but it's still on my bucket list i'll never get rid of it off of my bucket list but it's still there <laughs> i'm sure they're gonna print some silly card down the road that's gonna like break just enough rules that the rules committee is like we don't know how to make this illegal and so i guess you can play battle of wits now somehow like <laughs> they're gonna get there eventually i mean yeah yeah we'll, we'll get a commander that will that will have like the the you know you can run any number of cards in in your deck rule break on it but in this case it'll be you can have more than 100 cards in your commander deck or something it'll, something like that will, yeah at some point we'll get something that lets you do that almost exclusively just so you can play battle of wits and There'll be plenty of people champing at the bid for a chance to do that, for sure. Honestly, like, yeah, if they made, like, a five-color commander and the only text on that commander was your starting deck can't have more than the normal restricted amount of cards, that would be, like, one of the most popular things ever just because of yeah. Battle of Wits. Like, there are so many players. 
Who would want to do that? But also, if if we don't get that as a preview card in the future, that just means there's no justice in the world because we're designing cards <laughs> for Wizards of the Coast at this point. So right, right may as well here. give yeah. us the preview card. <laughs> oh man. And and like okay, so one last thing before we move on from the the classic, the alternate win conditions, I, I think it's probably worth us shouting out that another one of those ultimate bucket list items for a lot of players out there is the leadership vacuum trick that someone came up with on the onlines where they determined a way that using a bunch of mutate effects and other stuff in leadership vacuum, which puts a commander back into the command zone, there's a way that you can mutate. I think everything you control, like every card in your deck, onto some some type like a Vadrock or whatever, and then you can cast Leadership Vacuum on yourself and put your entire deck into the command zone. And I know that there are a lot of other players out there champing at that bit as well. So like, that's another honorable mention as a bucket list item for a lot of people, which I'm pretty sure that Olivia Gobert-Hicks has actually pulled off one time before. I remember, remember her talking to me about this specifically. So like, that's another item that I think we needed to address real quick before we move on, because sometimes it's not about actually winning the game. It's about the moral victory. Right. J just doing the dumb thing, the ridiculous thing, the, the thing that makes for a great story C completing the solitaire yeah. so that you have all the, the cards bouncing across the screen that type of effect hey yeah precisely uh that's a that's a good reference to a thing that happened on our stream game there matt i see what you over at twitch.tv slash edh redcast all you folks out there in listener land ah all right, so I mentioned there that like I still have not gotten the the win with Mortal Kombat because of all of the, the you know I can't can't quite keep all of those creatures in my graveyard because Dana, you're right, I do keep pulling them out. But I do want to talk about a thing that I have crossed off of my bucket list, which was very very fun for me, and it does involve removing stuff from my from my graveyard. But y'all, the high, the absolute, the the wonderful amazingness of having a Sir Conrad in play and bajuka bogging yourself to make a bunch of creatures leave your own graveyard to have Conrad deal lethal damage to someone. Winning by exiling my own graveyard, that was a thing. When I first saw Sir Conrad, I'm like, can I pull this off? And I have managed to do it, and it makes me very, very happy indeed. And I wanted to shout that one out there too, because it's such this delicious inversion of necromancy that I was just like, yes, I managed to use enemy weapons against them. Like, usually I'm so horrified by Bajukabog, but sometimes I'm okay with it. And Conrad is one of those times. See, that's actually a note of mine, something that I haven't done before but I want to do in the future. And that's by winning with somebody else's win condition. So you said I'm using my necromancy in different ways. It's like something I, I've never been able to pull off, mostly because I, I've been playing over spell tables so much the past couple of years that I don't have a chance to play cards that steal other people's things. And so I would love, absolutely love to steal something from somebody and then find a way to like, especially if it's an alternate win condition, like if it's using somebody else's mechanized production, mm. that would be just the silliest and funniest way to win. And I, I've never done it, but I really want to. So thank you for reminding me that it's something that I haven't gotten to do yet. I feel like I've seen people win with uh, most classically with like a Hellkite Tyrant. Like they they took control of someone else's Hellkite Tyrant, smacked them, took all of their artifacts and managed to win on the next turn because they hit the 20 more artifacts condition. I think that's one that I've seen. And that's probably like the most obvious. But I am interested if you can like steal someone else's Halo Fountain. And then you have so many creatures that you're like, haha, I managed to do it before you can. And that would be a real treat to see. There, there's one that I have been waiting for, um, and I should have hit this achievement by now, but it's one that whenever I see the card, I immediately like look down to see if the opportunity is there, and it's not yet presented itself. And that's a chance to kill a Shia Soul of the Wild with like a strip mine or something. <laughs> um, 
Because uh, Ashaya's Power and Toughness Regal, the number of lands you control and non-token creatures you control are forest lands in addition to their other type. And I, I've died a couple times to Ashaya decks. They, they, they come down and oftentimes are running other things above it based on lands that can you know be a pretty effective Voltron deck. Um, and I've ran into a handful of them since the card was released, and I've never hit that confluence where someone plays it and I have a land removal land available. And, and I run, you know, two to three in all of my decks. I should I should have a chance to do it. And it just has not popped up yet. But that's definitely something on my list I want to I want to accomplish. That's on my bucket list to have the Ashaya player convinced they have the kill, swing in and strip mine it. Oh no, Dana! Can I can I break your heart a little bit? Well, I, I don't know if break. I I think th this is such a cruel story. But okay, I have to say it now because I've already been talking about it. Um, the man who invented the EDH rec, one Donald Miner. Uh, his family plays the magical cards yes. with him as well, and his son has an Eryxmethes deck, and he has absolutely used strip mine on his son's Eryxmethes, which is a land before it removes the slumber counters. <laughs> and like, I, as a gay man who was fully disowned by his father, I gotta say, Don, that is far. Far crueler than anything my dad did. Like, wow. like, oh my, like that is so unbelievable. How could you do that, Don? But that's just the kids got to learn, apparently. So, like, that is a story that felt relevant to what you were saying. <laughs> that's that's like the ultimate pick yourself up by your bootstraps type of parenting right there. Just oh, you want that Ashaya? Here's a strip mine. Oh, that's that's so bad. I feel like I need to let's let's move on from that story. I don't feel good having put that out into the universe, but that is a thing that happened, and that's just kind of the just the kind of the cutthroat gameplay that happens in, in EDH sometimes. <laughs> well, I, so I guess I'll move us into a more joyous uh, mood, positive, <laughs> less morose and dark. Uh, but anyway, so one achievement that I have gotten to pull off, actually, that was super fun. I, I, I forget exactly how it was set up, but we were playing a game actually with Sheldon Mannery, who you said the, the person who invented EDH rec. I'm going to go one further, and the person who invented EDH, hey. uh, so Sheldon Mennery, was playing a game with us, and I was playing my Okeeman Kazar deck, which is, it's a really fun deck. It's my plus one, plus one counters deck that I try to win with Simic Ascendancy. I'm not as good at that as Dana is, so that <laughs> point for Dana, I guess. But Okeeman Kazar is so fun because I, I try to build up into these this one-shot machine with Kazar, um, buffing up all my Ukimas and, and doing things. Well, I forget what card it was that Sheldon had that was basically going to make sure, I think it was he was finding a way to phase out my Ukima so it wouldn't get the Leaves of Battlefield trigger. Mm. And so in response, I was able to cast Teferi's Time Twist. So basically how the interaction worked was exile, target permanent you control, and then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. And if it enters the battlefield as a creature, it comes in with an extra plus one, plus one counter on it. Well, that does get Ukima's Leaves the Battlefield trigger where I get to deal damage and gain life. So Sheldon kind of, I don't want to say he was asking for it, but he definitely <laughs> prodded it out of me. But it was just, so, it was so fun because he found a way to make sure I wasn't getting the Leaves the Battlefield ability, which is super hard. I mean, that's one thing that Dana, I know you, you mentioned all the time about that deck is you're always going to get that Leaves the Battlefield trigger. So the fact that I happened to have a way to get that trigger in response to a way getting rid of it without getting the trigger, it was just such a monumental moment. It was it was wild just coming out of the blue. 
That's so good. I, I actually, as long as you're talking about like, just like, oh, we did this thing to Sheldon. Like I've got a, a somewhat similar, like getting out from underneath four of the different deflecting palm or reflect damage or mirror strike type of cards. Sheldon once played like four of those against me on a single turn and I still managed to get through. <laughs> but it was, it's actually a move that's like not even possible anymore because of the way that the rules change. It was my Rayhan deck. So I kept on, I had to like kill my own creatures to move a bunch of plus one counters onto another creature. And this was ages and ages ago before that rules change so like the thing i did is not even possible anymore but like got out from underneath like four of those reflect damage things and it's just like ha take that sheldon <laughs> and it's just like yeah those those moments do stick with you though it's just like this is important even getting to play a game with him was just like oh this is so awesome and for it to also have an epic ending like that like yeah matt i totally see why that's the kind of thing that sticks with you because like yeah the point of the of the play in this version of the game is the hilarious stories and that's awesome you got to kill someone with a silly common hell yes well, and I love that deck that Sheldon has. It's the, you did this to yourself deck, I'm, I'm guessing, Joey. Because mm -hmm. it's so good at deflecting all this. You think you have something going, and all of a sudden it becomes something else. Kind of like when we deflect into Challenge of Stats. Oh. Uh, you didn't see it coming. All of a sudden it's different. Come and on. now here we are getting a segue nice. that's also flavorfully done by Sheldon. Thanks, Sheldon, for deflecting Joey's attempt with the palm card. I want to... I would like to cast Deflecting Palm on that segue. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, that was... That did that did a bunch of damage, not even not to you or to me. That one did damage to our listeners, Matt. <laughs> Joey, you, you can cast Deflecting Palm, but I will just cast Didn't See It Coming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll cast Didn't Say Please. No, okay. We could go on like that forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. I guess we can start challenging some stats because there's a lot of data on ADHRAC that we don't always agree with. So we'll come back to you right after this quick break. My challenge this week is sent to us by Listener Gravity from our Discord. And the challenge is for decks with um, the partners Frodo Adventurous Hobbit and Sam Loyal Attendant. Um, Frodo is two mana um, for a uh, halfling scout with vigilance. Whenever Frodo attacks, if you gained three or more life this turn, the ring tempts you. Then if Frodo is your ring bearer and the ring has tempted you two or more times this game, you draw a card. Sam costs a one in Selesnia, so three mana for a halfling peasant. Um, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you create a food token, and activated abilities of food you control cost one less to activate. So Sam makes the food that uh, gains you the life that lets the ring tempt you um, with Frodo. The challenge here from Gravity is for the card Stronghold Arena from back in Dominaria United. Mm. Stronghold Arena is an enchantment for one in black, and it has kicker of green and or white. And when it enters the battlefield, you gain three life for each time it was kicked. And whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may reveal the top card of your library and put it in your hand. And if you do, you lose life equal to its mana value. The, the problem with Stronghold Arena is you have to be playing it in at least an Abzan deck. You can play it in four or five colors as well, but despite only costing one and a black to cast, you're pretty limited in where you can run it. It's one of those cards that when it was first revealed, I, I was very like into it and wanted to run it. I just don't have decks that have the colors that support it mm -hmm. and kind of forgot about it. Um, yeah, I am with Gravity here. This is kind of a perfect card for, for Frodo and Sam. It's a, it's a life gain deck where you are going to have life to offset what you might lose to Stronghold Arena. Um, Stronghold Arena is going to gain you life if it happens to come in after you already have Sam and Frodo out. So there's added utility there as well. It's just probably a better Frexian Arena in that particular deck. And it definitely should see more play than it's currently seeing. This is such a good suggestion. Like, 
Now, honestly, like that card feels like perfectly tailored for that deck, especially because one of the first things that the Ring Tempting you does is make one of your creatures a little bit harder to block by, by your opponent. So then you actually will get that Stronghold Arena trigger a little bit more reliably by actually being able to deal combat damage to players. And it's only showing up in like 1.2% of the Frodo and Sam decks out there right now. Dana, I'm totally with you. The kicker cost on that does keep this out of a lot of decks, but that is one where it should go to. That is so cool. I love that. Oh, that, that is a great listener submission. Holy sh... Oh, that's so good. Yeah, thank you very much, Gravity. That's a good call. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the show. For real. Oh, I, I'm, I'm all about that one. Uh, and since you were talking about Abzan, I'll now talk about Abzan because my selection here is... It's for a card that I think is being a bit overplayed in the new Abzan deck, Anicthia Hand of Erebus. Uh, that is a new awesome Abzan Enchantress stuff going. It's like a lot of really cool stuff there, but there's a source of mana acceleration that came in the pre-con that I am a little critical of if you are going to be upgrading this deck a little bit further. Specifically, and I know this is kind of weird to say it, but Arcane Signet. Arcane Signet shows up in 60% of the Anicthia decks that are in the EDHREC database so far. It's a classic, you know, it's an artifact that is going to get you your lands. The reason that I take Umbridge with it, though, is because Enchantress is classically filled with so many of those effects where whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you draw a card. Just the act of casting an enchantment in an Enchantress deck can draw you like three or four cards. So having your acceleration sources be enchantments themselves, I think it matters a whole lot. Just hitting a single artifact in the deck can actually stop a really big piece of your engine. So when I look at the fact that Fertile Ground, which is a two mana enchanted land, whenever the enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional mana of that color. That's only showing up in 32% compared to Arcane Signet's 60%. I would personally want to do a swap on that. I feel like I would prefer to have an enchantment source of ramp because even if I draw it late game, it could draw me a ton of cards in that type of deck. So that's going to be my challenge. I think that Arcane Signet is overplayed in an enchantress deck and you should focus as much as possible on enchantment forms of ramp instead. So my challenge this week, actually, it's going to be one of those cards kind of like how Dana approaches Overwhelming Intellect. It's not a card you want to consider a counterspell necessarily, but it's a draw spell that happens to keep a creature off the board. And this card this week, it's a new one from Lord of the Rings. So, of course, I'm talking about Lord of the Rings. Lobelia Sackville Baggins <laughs> is a card that I've had so much success with ever since playing it. I knew, immediately knew, I was like, I really want to be playing this card. I think this is fantastic. It's got a lot of utility. And so when you think about it, it's not just a, a grave hate spell, but think of it as a, a kind of a, a, a ritual type of spell. You play it down, you get to get rid of a problematic creature in a graveyard, but also you're getting a ton of mana sometimes from this. So Lobelia Sackville Baggins is two and a black for a legendary halfling citizen. It is a two, three with flash and menace and says whenever Lobelia Sackville Baggins enters the battlefield, exile target creature card from an opponent's graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn, then exile, uh, or excuse me, then create X treasure tokens where X is the exiled card's power. So this is absolutely fantastic. If you're if you're playing against somebody who likes to put a bunch of creatures on the battlefield, you can kill something or say they're trying to reanimate it all of a sudden. Uh, say they're playing, I don't know, like a living end or something like that. Um, <laughs> they're going to put something big from the battlefield into the graveyard. Well, in case they're trying to get it back down the road, Lobelia Sackville Baggins is a great way to make sure that the problematic creature you got rid of stays gotten rid of. And uh, in addition to well, you're just getting a whole bunch of mana for that too. So a lot of times, if you're hitting a bigger creature, say you're hitting that 6-6, six, six, you're using three mana, you're getting rid of the problematic creature, but also you're able to generate extra mana for your next turns. Um, say somebody you know gets an Ulamog out, they sneak attack something, and then it goes to the graveyard. Well, you get to get rid of that Ulamog, 
and then you also get 10 mana. That's <laughs> kind of fantastic, right, when you ask me. Now, it doesn't work if they're kind of sneaking things into the graveyard. It has to be put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield this turn. So the timing is a little restrictive, so I see why people haven't really latched onto it. But there's a lot of upside to this. I, I've seen it where maybe a few times it would have been nice to get rid of that timing restriction. But it's only being played in 3,500 decks so far. And the ability on that, just being able to make a bunch of mana and get rid of a problematic creature before it comes back and becomes an even bigger problem, I think there's a whole lot of value to that. Well, and, and especially like you said, viewing this as a potential way to make treasure also can just be a completely mm -hmm. different window. Like, did someone play a board wipe? All right, presumably a lot of stuff died and you could easily flash this in right afterwards and make, say, four or five treasures off of that. And if your deck cares a whole lot about treasures, I mean, that <laughs> we've seen so many decks that care about treasures that are able to then weaponize those treasures later on, whether it's with a rise and shine or by slamming down a marionette master afterwards when you've got a whole bunch of them. So like this is also just I'm mad at you, Matt, because you're talking about graveyard exile effects and I'd rather that you didn't. But yeah, <laughs> like there, this is kind of a, an efficient little like, oh, by the way, I'm going to be able to make a couple more treasure tokens in this way that just totally needles at Joey. So yeah, yeah, I, I see why you like it, even if I don't. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna apologize. I guess I should say for needling at you. We're we're gonna advocate for grave hate just because, like like we said, you want to win via cards in your graveyard. So we just have to make sure it happens as little as possible. Yeah, I want to sacrifice my creature and then bring it right back. And you're gonna stop me from doing that. And that's very rude of you. How could you? Why why are you doing this to me? Um, the only thing that would be more rude is to keep listeners waiting to hear more bucket list <laughs> items from us. I think that's that's perhaps a little more. All right, you know, that makes up for the mental damage that you did earlier because that was actually, <laughs> that was pretty slick. I, I, I like that one. Um, I, I will take the next one though because I, I actually, it, it occurs to me, that it is wild that we waited this long in the episode to mention it, but I've got one for each of you because Dana, you mentioned this on a previous show. You mentioned that, uh, I think it was you said, about once per calendar year, you've managed to kill someone by using a sign in blood targeting them to lose two life and draw two cards. And bruh, if that's not a bucket list item, I don't know what is. Like, that's excellent. I'm so happy for you. Glad that you've gotten to do that. <laughs> the, the trick for that is just to run sign in blood in every single one of your decks. <laughs> there you go. It's <laughs> yeah. easier to conveniently have it ready when someone else drops on a two life. Yeah. And then the other one for Matt, Matt, this is a thing that has happened to you. I've seen it with my own eyes on our stream where someone hit you with a chaos. They hit your Perforos, I think it was, with a chaos warp. Mm -hmm. And then you shuffled up and you hit the same dang Perforos off of the chaos warp. And it was just like, no, those moments, they happen every now and then. And it's always in the back. I think it's in the back of everybody's mind mm -hmm. when they're thinking, oh, man, how funny would it be if this happens? And then what actually does, it, it's one of those moments like you when, you, when you're at an event, for example, you're at a magic con and you see all four people at the table just up in arms, hey, like yeah. those are the types <laughs> of moments that you know, it's like something cool like that just happened. Um, it, it's it's so funny. It's so, and it's so random. That's why my personal favorite is, I say I chaos warp something from Dana. He shuffles up. I'm like, okay, Dana, cut three cards deep you just want to you control your own fate just a little bit but then also you like that just means oh i did this to myself if it is the same card that gets flipped over oh yeah 
Yeah. Oh, I, I love those. And we had to bring those up because those are, I think, also just very iconic types of commander moments. Like, can I make a sign in blood happen in a 40 life format? Answer is yes, it does happen. And can you hit the same thing off of shuffling with a hundred cards and you're starting to like, can I do that? Yeah, it sometimes do happen. And those are just excellent things that we had to mention. Yeah, I, I will add this, Joey, this addendum. Not only have I have I managed to do the sign in blood, I have done a sign in blood on someone, narcissist reversal my own sign in blood, <laughs> which copied it, bounced the spell back to my hand so I could then cast sign in blood again to hit someone for four. Oh, that's just, wow. That That's just mean. I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> but like, wow, you are committed to this bit. Okay, I, I, I do kind of love that. Um, I, I'll, I'll mention one then that I, I was really happy to have pulled off once. And this, I don't know if I knew that this was on my bucket list. It's more like probably just, I did something cool. I added it to my bucket list and immediately cross it off because it made me feel good. But Rite of Replication has done some amazing stuff in the format. Making five token copies of something is really, really excellent. Specifically though, making five token copies of Nyxbloom Ancient, which triples your mana production. <laughs> that That is like the EDH moment for me. Every time from that point on with five Nyxbloom Ancients, if I tap a single land, I make 243 mana. I, I can rest after that moment, you know? It's just like, good, good. I have done I have done the EDH-ing for, for the whole rest of the year. And that was, also, that was a great one for me. Anything where you need a whiteboard to do the math. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I mean, that, that is the handy part about the Infinite Tokens. Um, if you mess up your math, you can just erase it and try again. Um, I've, had to, I've had to try math again, so don't worry, folks, if you've had to use that for the the, the same reason. Another one I'm, I'm working on here, and, and this is a little less gameplay-based but and more deck-brewing-based, I guess. Um, I, I have a deck where I'm working on getting every card in it autographed. Hmm. Um, that's gonna and, and I've I've got about a third of it done um, in three or four years. The rest of them are going to be much trickier. Um, and, and there's a few places, you know, you go to magic events, there's people there signing cards, there, there's, you know, online services that, that you can, or people, you know, are in touch with artists and they'll, they'll bulk send cards to individual artists. So I've, I've done a few of those things too. Um, but that's that's my, my long-term, like, card bling plan for one of my decks is to try to get every card in it autographed. And I've so far, at the very least, managed to stay ahead of upgrading the deck because that's also tricky with those kind of things is I have probably said a third of the deck done, but I also probably have eight to ten cards that are autographed that I've also pulled out of the deck over the course of like three or four years. Yeah. Um, so it, it's very much a, you know, one step forward, two steps back sometimes with that. But but that's that's one of my long term bucket lists is I want to get that deck finished and have have every card in it autographed. I mean, I remember I used to have a bulk foil deck that was a super, super fun time. It was my Alicia Who Smiles at Death deck. It would be fun to rebuild that and just have a, every card it has to be foil, it has to be less than a dollar. Mm. And it used to be you had to get pretty creative in order to keep up and, and make it remotely powerful. These days, ever since collector boosters became a thing, really... It's actually probably cheaper to get some of the foils because <laughs> you're right. Uh, yeah, in some cases, the foils are just there's so many out there that you can just find the foils underneath your your office chair sometimes. And they're and then just you can that common, them like a Pringles can or something too, which is also <laughs> yeah very useful and on theme. Oh man, keep keep it there with all of my dice, and then <laughs> yeah. I have a stack too, so it's perfect. 
Well, and, and this also, like, when it comes to the aesthetics of, of deck building, Dana, I think that you've also, like, I don't, I don't this is a, a thing that I think you've crossed off of your bucket list a, a while ago now, but, like, I want to say it's your Vela the Nightclad deck. All of the cards in that deck are all altered. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and again, I've, I, I, it's, I'm back down to, I think, 98 of the 100 cards now because I've made a couple upgrades and I have not had those altered yet. But yes, that's a deck where it was fully altered by by Ryan Peniff of the uh, Commander Cookout podcast. So uh, Ryan did did all of the cards in that deck, and it, it was a project that took five or six years, I think. Um, and, and I will have to hit up Ryan and get the last couple re-altered as well to get it back up to 100. So yeah, that that's one that I... That I was doing before the autograph project is was was the fully altered project. The dedication, and it's all the it's all your utility lands. I'm guessing, yeah, is, that's is what the problem. Happens. Utility lands, yeah. It's it's some thirty cent utility land that Dana needs to get altered. Then uh, you 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 say that, but Matt, I think the Micasynth Garden is one of them. So I think yes, you guys are back to utility land. I knew it. I knew it. Because Dana just keeps cutting basics, and he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <man."> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. six but, is fine. Six basics is fine. No, that's so fun. I, I feel like I, at one point, I wanted to see whether I could pull off an all foil deck like you just mentioned, Matt. But there was one time where I played, I think actually it might have been Dana, your buddy Max's deck. It was either his or yours, where I played an all foil deck. And I was like, oh, this is just actually hard to play because like visibly looking at it is like hurting my eyes like because of the light in the room. Yes, I'm just like, yeah. oh, just the glare. I can't deal with this. So like that's no longer on my bucket list. I, I didn't cross it. Up. I just removed it. I was just like, nope, that's not a thing I need to do anymore because the all foils is actually like, whoa, that's overwhelming. But that's part of the strategy, Joey. Like you may be blinded, but that means three opponents also are blind, oh. and therefore you have the advantage. It has secret hex proof because your opponents just can't read the card. They don't know what your stuff does because they can't read the card to explain it. Oh, no, that's so silly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Uh, I, I will get back to one that is actually on my bucket list though that I have not pulled off, but I would really, really love to. Um, Y'all are familiar with Phage the Untouchable, I assume. The seven mana mm -hmm. uh, black legendary creature avatar minion. When it enters the battlefield, if you didn't cast it from your hand, you lose the game. And whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, they lose the game. I've been able to play this in some decks before it's enjoyable if you ever make it unblockable then you can like make someone lose it's like it's just a fun mini game mm -hmm. but a thing i think i also want to do with this card and i don't have a deck for it but every so often i'm just like hey joe remember fractured identity the card that says exile target non-land permanent and then each other player has to make a token that's a copy of that permanent I really want to use that on my own Phage the Untouchable to give everyone a Phage the Untouchable that didn't get cast from their hand and therefore they all lose the game at the same time. That is a thing that I want to try and do one of these days. Another one I'm currently working on here, and I guess I mentioned this recently, is kind of I'm doing an Oops All Glissas thing. Um, I, I had a Glissa the Trader deck for a long time. That's probably my oldest deck. And I just recently switched it over to Glissa Sunslayer um, in large part because I the, the way I was playing the deck as a Death Touch deck and Gliss of the Traitor wanted you to do artifact stuff, and I felt like the, the intention was kind of split more than I, I liked. I, I, I could never really commit to one strategy. Um, so I switched over to Gliss of Sunslayer, and I was able to, like, it felt better leaning more into the Death Touch strat. Hmm. Um, but I have all of those cards still, a lot of the ones that I use for Gliss of the Traitor, and I'm, I have a soft spot for that card anyway. So I, I had been pondering, you know, just building a second Glissa deck. And then we got Glissa Herald Predation in, in the most recent um, Phyrexian set. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, there's another black-green Glissa, and it doesn't do either of the other two things I did. 
And I'm like, well, if I build that, then maybe I will just also build the original mono green glissa just because why not? Um, so I, I am currently working towards having all four glissas in, in different decks. So having a, so I can just say, hey, I'm going to play a glissa deck and no one knows which one I'm going to play. Um, and, and I'm trying to keep them all a little bit different power levels as well so I can like match the uh, glissa to the appropriate pod. But that's, that's another long-term bucket list thing I want to have here is I want to have all four glissas in the decks and in the character is technically still alive in the magic lore universe. So I might well get another glissa down the road as well. So I'm going to, uh, my plan is to always have a glissa deck for every glissa that's printed. Did you say you're going to build it just because why not? Yes. I, that's such a cavalier attitude towards, let me see how I can make this really janky mono green rare from ages upon ages ago and see if I can make it like, just because, why not? Because it sounds hard, man. Like, it actually sounds like. But also, I liked that too. So I like because I do tend to spend way too much time like pondering how I want to build this deck and you know whatever weird way I want to build it, and and I felt like forcing these decks also freed me up a little bit to like I'm just about a deck, man. I'm not gonna like think about it too much. I'm just gonna like <laughs> put some cards in a list and build a deck and not have it turn into a thing that requires a murder board to plan out. <laughs> See, I mean, it used to be that it was kind of hard to do, or at least an accomplishment to have an oops all whatever deck, like oops all Praetors, for example, because there were only five. Right. And then we got another round and there were, there were 10, and now there's 15 now, but like you can do that with a bunch of different creature types where it used to be hard, like oops all gods. Oh yeah. We only had the original Theros gods, and now we have a whole bunch of them. You can do those types of decks, and more often than not, they're probably going to be fairly powerful or oops, all elder dinos because we have a bunch of those now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, th there's a lot of different fun challenges you can do. And I would like to do an oops type of deck down the road. I just have to find something that kind of motivates me because I, I have a friend who had an oops, all gods deck and oops, all praetors. It would be fun, but it wouldn't be fun to play against. And that's just kind of not my jib. <laughs> sure. And so um, I'm not going to do Oops All Praetors, but there's got to be something eventually that we're going to get to where, yeah, it's just going to be super fun and just like, okay, everything in here's a Praetor. Here we go. That is excellent. I, I'm kind of on a, a thing for that right now, too. I've For a very long time, I've wanted to have a Rule Zero deck that is actually sort of sort of similar to what you mentioned of the Oops All. Mm -hmm. um, the one that I've currently leaned to, and it's actually a thing I made a video about on this channel if folks want to go check that out, uh, it's this level up type of EDH idea where in the command zone, say, you'd start with the mono green Omnath, but then the next time you play it, it's going to be the green red Omnath. And then the time after that, it's going to be the green red blue Omnath. And like your commander just keeps growing up or it's starts as one version of Urza and then you just keep on going and use the command zone to tell a story. And that is a thing that I am very, very enchanted by. I'm like, I want to build a deck that uses this idea because I think it's really fun and I've never done a rule zero deck before. The problem is that Matt, much like you not being able to decide, oh, do I pick Praetors? Do I pick gods? What do I do? I can't pick the dang character. I'm just like, which one do I want to do yet? Like the, this should be easy to cross off, cross off of my bucket list. I just have indecision. And so I'm like, dang it, what do I actually pick? And, and finding a rule zero like deck that isn't just blatantly like, I, I want to abuse the rules in some form or fashion. I, I know that that's a problem that right. many times folks have brought up, which is it's a totally valid concern. So finding a rule zero deck that doesn't push folks into kind of an awkward situation where like they might be tempted to say no, mm -hmm. but making sure that it's still a fun social experience for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. It's such a, it's such a difficult challenge, but also it's, it's a fun one to try. It's almost like the deck building puzzle 
just from the very start, like you're trying to have a puzzle with the the con- the concept essentially. Yeah, for for sure. But there there are those little things that like, oh, if I can pull this off, like that just sounds sounds so cool. But like I, at this point, I do think that like, yes, in addition to that concern, I want to make sure that this is an idea that sounds fun to everybody. So I have to be careful about the character that I pick for that. I also have to be like, I just have to pick a character that to me resonates in the same way that Dana has 48 Glissadex or, or, or whatever. Like <laughs> there, there hasn't yet been a character where I'm just like, oh, you know who I really want to play and tell their story. And the, like starting with like Gandalf, Friend of the Shire and eventually upgrading into Gandalf Westward Voyager like that. That sounds really cool to me, though. Like, I don't have the same attachment the way that you guys do to Lord of the Rings, for instance. So like while I'm like, oh, academically, this would be like such a fun thing. It doesn't have the same emotional hit for me. And I'm just I need to find a character that has that emotional hit where I'm just like, yes, I'm building this because of how much I love this specific character. So so one of these days is going to happen. I just need to find my version of Glissa, uh, the the way that Dana's got his Glissa and the way that you've got your uh, pending oops, all gods or oops, all whatever deck. Yeah. Well, and I guess my last thing that I just I haven't done yet and I would like to eventually just because I used to be a competitive player. I used to be on that tournament grind. I'm still a naturally very competitive person uh, and I'm more competitive than any of you two and fight me if you don't think so. But (laughs) one thing I I would like to do is I I would like to eventually get around to building a CEDH deck. I I enjoy every now and then. I'll, I'll get the itch. Uh, I downloaded Arena a couple weeks ago. Don't judge me, but I, I got the itch and, and it was a lot of fun to kind of get back into playing ex- Explorer and Standard and drafting and, and kind of, okay, I need to actually think about what I'm doing instead of just, here's a big creature, go. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm sure down the road, and I, I don't know when, I'm going to get that itch again. And having a way to play Commander, which is my favorite format, but also have it focused in a way that it's... It's competitive. It's it's that CEDH kind of sub format, however you want to put it out there. Mm-hmm. It's going to hit me. I know it is. And so having that deck available for when it does, I'm sure it's something that I I, just, I would like to have it. But I also need to sit down and actually kind of figure out what I want to do. How am I going to solve that puzzle? And also, I need to learn about kind of a whole new format at that point, too, because I, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to CEDH because I haven't been competitive for a while with Magic. And so... It'll happen. I don't know when, but I'm sure it's going to. And so I just, I mentally, I need to get prepared, I guess. Interesting. Because I know that like you've often, like the, the reason that you play EDH is to like switch that part of your brain off because you had that so much in the the one-on-one version of the game. Mm-hmm. And so like you have, but like, it's interesting to see that like, oh, that, that hunger has come back for you. And I think that you're probably in luck because I don't know, just knowing you, you really enjoy the combat step. And my understanding is that I do. There have been a, a slightly bigger prominence of combat-based CEDH decks that are rearing their heads in the meta lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds right up your alley because I know that you're kind of like, oh, sure, on combos, but like, wait, if I can, if I can win with the combats, like, that's that's your type of jam is is totally my understanding. So yeah, it could be in the cards sooner than later. Who knows? Uh, yeah, we, we will see. We did just have Jim on from the spike feeders prominent cedh content creators uh maybe that just rubbed off on me i i don't know we'll see but yeah it's <laughs> it's something that i'm i just i know it's gonna hit me it, it's going to bite me and i'm just i need to get ready and and that's just part of the process i guess I, i'm about to get goto helm of the host goto'd by you so many times nope, that's a combo I? I, I don't want a combo oh, fair 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 yeah, I, I, I like that. I think that we do all go through different stages and what it is that we're after with this game. So there are the times where you've built a deck that is just like, oh, I just want to take it easy on this. I just want to build something where here's a character I connect with or here's a specific card in the 99 that I want to see if I can break. 
And there are always like the, the beautiful thing to me is that there are always going to be even more things that we add as new cards come out. Like when Vorpal Sword came out, I'm like, OK, can I kill someone using the eight man ability on a Vorpal Sword? Have yet to do it, but it'll be really exciting. Or when Strixhaven Stadium came out, it's like, OK, can I win this game of Strixhaven Ball or whatever it is? And it turns out, yes, like I've been able to get a triple KO with Strixhaven Stadium and they're going to keep on coming out with more stuff like that. And it's cool to be able to like our bucket lists are never going to be empty <laughs> yeah and i think that's kind of amazing and that is also what motivates us into the different types of things that we want to build whether we want it to be a, a deck that we're leaning forward and we're getting sweaty or if it's a deck that we're kind of leaning back and getting to resonate with the game in a completely different way because of a character or flavor or theme or, or whatever like that that is a, a a really fantastic thing to me about this end of of the magic the gathering spectrum it's just like oh yeah this game's all about the stories and here are all these cards with so much potential to create amazing moments for everyone to be able to remember and share with each other and so yeah just just kind of for me wrapping up the idea of the bucket list i'm just like ah these things are so cool these are why we play the game yeah, yeah i like looking that's a that's a really good way to look at it joe because it's very easy to get caught up in the negative things about this game, you know, hmm. price point has done some questionable things that maybe we don't love. Mm. There's a whole lot of product that comes out that makes it difficult to keep up sometimes. It makes you feel burnt out. Like mm -hmm. there are th plenty of things that you can be negative about, but you don't have to exclusively be negative, right? Like you can criticize things that are worthy of being criticized while also remembering that there's a lot of great, amazing things about this game, which is why we show up and talk about it weekly. Like we genuinely love magic for all its faults. And a lot of the things on, on these bucket lists are things we love about it. Yeah, well, and they're, they're things that we can't do other places either. Like, yes, it, it's it, things that we keep coming back to. And so much of it too, It's there's a little bit of internal stuff, but a lot of it for me especially is like, what can I do with my friends? What what social mm -hmm. aspect of the format can I keep doing? Social aspect of the game. And that's just what I think what keeps me in magic so much too is I want to keep doing all these things because it's an excuse to go and hang out with friends. And that's probably the most unique thing about it. Like, every, yes, every now and then you get stuck with somebody that, like, that kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. But all honestly, like, we, I, well, like I said, we play League of Legends. We've talked about it several times a show. That's like 75% of the games that I play there versus <laughs> maybe 5% with Magic. And so just right. compared to pretty much any other game out there, it, it just it's so refreshing to, to all be on the same page. We just want to have a fun time. We want to experience something together and just have fun and share some laughs. And that's it's so unique. And I, I love that about Magic. And just hopefully just that's what I really have on my bucket list is have so many more experiences like that that I, just, I get to remember for forever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love. That. I mean, that's why I stopped playing League of Legends is because it's just like, yo, I can't. Play. But like Magic, <laughs> it isn't like that. Like the the Magic community is so much more of, of just exactly what you said there. Of just like, oh, this is the place where we all get to we get to have those moments where we're at a Magic Con and Matt, as you said, you hear someone at another table, like the entire table stands up and goes, whoa, like those. Yeah. 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 That's what keeps. Mm. I mean, I mean, hopefully when the three of us are at the Magic Summit in Salt Lake City in October or at MagicCon Vegas, hopefully we get to do some with some of our listeners too. And just the uproar yeah. and just the, oh my gosh, what just happened? I mean, if you're at those events, we will be there and it'd be great to get games in with you all too. 
Heck yes. Oh, okay. That is a great way to end it. Listeners, we definitely want to hear from you. What are your bucket list moments? What are the cool moments that you've been able to pull off? And what are you still chasing? Which things in the game are you still hoping to pull off one of these days? Tell us about your achievement unlocked moments down in the comments. Hit us up on the reviews. Do all that stuff. But for now, we are calling this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all on the onlines? Matt? So you can find me at Mathemus55 on any social media platform. You can find us also Wednesday evenings, uh, first Wednesday of the month. We are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edhretcast. So make sure you tune in for all of that as well. And Dana. You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDHREC and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash edhretcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me online at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at EDHRETCast. And if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRETCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>